Rejoice, the Lord is King. Amen? Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 1. And that may puzzle some of you because for the last almost two years, I think, we've been in the Old Testament, haven't I? And in all of that time in the Old Testament, we have seen in the Pentateuch, we've seen in the prophets, and we've seen in the Psalms most recently, the Bible's main storyline is to do with the coming of our king. A king who will rid his people and his world of sin. A king who will rule his world and his people in righteousness. Matthew's gospel is all about our king and his kingdom. Matthew sees clearly what the Old Testament prophets saw dimly. The king is Jesus. Jesus has come to rid this world and to rid his people of sin. Is that happening in your life? As Christ reigns in you? Jesus has come to rule his people and his world in righteousness. And there is no bigger news, there is no better news, there is no more relevant news to you than the good news that is the gospel of the king and his kingdom. And because it is such big, good, relevant news, it seems odd to us as we look at these opening verses of Matthew chapter 1. Why Matthew, a former tax collector, turned Christ follower, begins his eyewitness account of the king and his kingdom with a lengthy genealogy. Just a quick glance at these verses without even reading them tells you you're, you were, it's going to be rough sledding, isn't it? Why? I mean, imagine getting a newspaper on your front porch and you pick it up and, and there's a headline at the top of the page that goes all the way across the page, huge type, big news, and then the first 250 words of the story right underneath the byline is a long list of ancestral names connected by the word begot. Is that how you would start it? Why? That's exactly what it seems Matthew has done. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and then Abraham begot Isaac 39 times. Somebody begot somebody who just couldn't help begotting somebody else. Why do we need to know this? Well, let's read these opening verses, and then with God's help, we'll seek to, to answer that, that question, why. And I'm going to read these names with great authority so that you'll think I know how to pronounce them. That's, that's how it's done. Let's hear the word of God. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham... Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. 
Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam begot Abijah. Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begot Joram. And Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham. Jotham begot Ahaz. And Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh. Manasseh begot Ammon. And Ammon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shiltiel, and Shiltiel begot Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begot Abiud, Abiud begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azor. Azor begot Zadok, Zadok begot Achim, and Achim begot Eliud. Eliud begot Eleazar, Eleazar begot Mathan, and Mathan begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. And the meaning of that is all very clear. And so we should just close and pray, right? <laughs> what, what, this, is, this is the Spirit of God speaking. This isn't just Matthew choosing how to tell the good news. This is also the Spirit of God moving Matthew's mind and pen to introduce our king as Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and then provide this very lengthy genealogy. Why is that? Matthew's first readers, Jewish Christians, knew their Old Testament. So they were very familiar with this phrase, the book of the genealogy. So just stare at that on the page for a moment. Biblos Geneseos. Biblos Geneseos. Book of Beginnings. What's that remind you of? I won't move on until you answer. <laughs> Genesis, right? It's not, not super complicated. Matthew 1 is an echo of Genesis. The phrase Biblos Genesios appears in the Septuagint reading of Genesis 2.4. Listen to it. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And that same phrase, the book of the genealogy, is an echo of Genesis 5. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. The beginning of creation, the beginning of humanity, are presented to us in Genesis. Matthew says this is a new Genesis. This is a second beginning. And I don't know if you've looked around lately, but both creation and humanity seem to be in big trouble and in need of a new Genesis. 
Our daughter's family took a vacation to San Diego. They willingly chose to drive to San Diego um, a couple of weeks ago, and they were telling us that our, our grandson, actually he was telling us about this, walking around on this beautiful beach and stepped right in a ball of tar because there was an oil spill uh, out in the sea, obviously, and it's all washing up on the beach somewhere around there. Clearly not part of God's design for creation, right? Balls of tar. Very hard to clean off. And how much more so is humanity tarnished by the black tar of its sin? Surely the people in Buffalo, New York are thinking this this morning, let alone the folks in Ukraine and Russia. And how many of you know it is impossible to clean off the black tar of mankind's sin. All of these people we just read of, apart from Jesus, can't pull it off, couldn't pull it off. And Matthew's use of this phrase, biblos genesios, signified to his Jewish readers, and now to us, that the king's arrival marks a new beginning. For all of God's creation and all of God's people, this is the good news. This is the gospel. The gospel is not only that Jesus died for your sins, although that is wonderfully true and powerfully true for you who believe. And it's so essential and so primary that we'll come back to that later this morning. But the the gospel is bigger and better news than many Christians understand. Because the gospel is good news for all of creation. And for all of God's people. God is rescuing his world and his people from sin's curse through the work of our King, Jesus Christ. This is already underway. A new genesis already begun in the work of Christ, says Matthew. God is subduing his world and his people to himself through Jesus Christ. Now, now why am I belaboring the point? Why did I just give you three statements to write down that basically say the same thing in different ways? Don't think I don't see that on your faces. Because this is the theme of Matthew's gospel. It's it's a thread that runs through the entire gospel of Matthew. If you're a Christian this morning, you belong to a kingdom that is growing and that will continue to grow. A kingdom that is not in jeopardy, that, that is not right now fighting for its very life. Don't believe that. Our king, Jesus, is enthroned in heaven right now, very much in charge very much in command and control, and even now is ushering in a new age of righteousness for his people and for his planet. Do you believe this? Because to believe it is to let it shape the way you look at life. Matthew's entire gospel is about this new genesis, and so we'll try to keep... If you want to know how to pray for um, the preacher, pray that we would be able to, you know, not 
miss the forest for the trees, so to speak, that that we'll be able to keep in view this main thread throughout our time in Matthew's gospel. We just sang the theme song for Matthew's gospel, didn't we? Rejoice, the Lord is king. Your Lord and king adore. Rejoice, give thanks and sing and triumph evermore. That, That is the heart cry of God's people. And it's meant to be the daily outlook of God's people as well. So, so Matthew and, and his first readers, as well as their Jewish ancestors, for thousands of years, they, they'd been looking for a promised king, hadn't they? Whose rule would be everlasting. And how would they know that this king is actually Jesus? And that brings us to another reason Matthew begins with this genealogy. The Jews looked for the Lord's anointed, God's Christ, to come from the kingly ancestry of David. And so Matthew is careful to identify Jesus as Christ, the son of David. It was to David who wrote, those beautiful messianic psalms that we spent some time in here recently. It was to David that God had promised an everlasting kingdom. 2 Samuel 7, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Now, what was going on at the time Matthew wrote his gospel? Well, the the king on Israel's throne was a poser. He was a crummy puppet king established by Rome, Herod. We'll meet him soon enough. And Herod wasn't even Jewish. Herod is not the rightful king. The rightful king is one who comes from the ancestry of David. And so Matthew takes great pains in this genealogy to show his first readers and us that Joseph is Jesus' legal father, though not his biological father. And it's Joseph's legal descendant who is the rightful legal claimant of the throne of Israel, Jesus. Jesus is the promised Davidic king. Furthermore, says Matthew, Jesus is the universal king. Still in verse 1, we're making tremendous progress, aren't we? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What's that about? Abraham, as you know, is the father of the Jewish nation. But he was not Jewish. I mean, in the sense that Jewishness hadn't happened yet. It started with him. Abram himself was from Ur of the Chaldeans. And God's promise to Abraham was what? Listen to Genesis 12 too. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Notice that 
Matthew uses the name Abraham, not Abram. Abraham, the covenant name that God gave to the father of the Jewish nation. And the covenant was one of blessing to the nations of the earth, not just Abraham's ethnic descendants. So we don't want to miss that. There are not two gospels, one for Jewish people and one for Gentile people. There is one gospel because there is one king, and there is one kingdom promised to God's people from among all the nations. God's promise was that men and women as numerous as the stars of heaven all over the earth receive the blessing of Abraham. Those who embrace the faith of Abraham, faith in the God of Abraham is a better way to say that probably. The God of the covenant with his people receive the covenant promises. You're still listening. So the kingdom doesn't just belong to the Jews. This is good news. This this gospel is for all people, all who repent and come in allegiance to the king, Jesus. So Jesus is not only the Davidic king, says Matthew, he is the universal king, and and yet there's more. Finally, although not not in the sense that we're almost done, but, but finally... Still from uh, verse 1, Matthew says Jesus is the, is the final king, or he, he's the eternal king. The word Christ, as you know, is not Jesus' middle name. Did you know that? It's not Jesus' middle name. The, the, the word Christ is a title. The Greek word Christos means anointed, anointed one. In, in Hebrew, it's Messiah. Do you remember Psalm 2, those few weeks that we spent in Psalm 2? Anybody? <laughs> Not enough of you raised your hand soon enough, so turn, turn to Psalm 2. You, you had your shot, and this is just how it works. Just look at Psalm 2 with me for just a moment. Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? Boy, that's happening today still, isn't it? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, his his Messiah, his Christ, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? And Matthew will show us at Jesus' baptism The voice from heaven declaring what we just read from Psalm 2. This Jesus is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, says Matthew 3.17. Jesus is the Davidic king and he is the universal king and he is the eternal king. And what did Yahweh 
The, the God of the covenant promised his anointed king back in Psalm 2. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. That's our Jesus. Very much in charge. The one with all authority. Matthew will end his gospel with that declaration from Jesus. All authority has been given to me. There is no higher authority today in heaven or on earth than the authority of King Jesus. And you and I are actually meant to live believing this because it's true. The Lord's anointed comes from heaven. And what of his kingdom? Tail end of Psalm 2. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. That's the gospel, isn't it? Change direction. In other words, repent. Live in allegiance to the king. And to what end? Just so I can avoid judgment. Just so I can avoid hell. Is that it? No, there's more. In Christ, I inherit the kingdom. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Listen, all throughout the Bible, this promise of a fresh start in Christ is given. This is a second Genesis, says Matthew. Jesus is the second Adam who's come to do what the first Adam failed to do on behalf of his people. Well, who are the kingdom people then? Jesus is the king. Who are the kingdom people? I mean, they must be an incredible group of folks, right? Well, that brings us to the third reason, I believe, Matthew's gospel begins with the genealogy. Did you realize, think about this, the gospel is not a theory. It's not an idea that is pulled off the shelf of other ideas that people have about ethereal things. Don't don't think that about the gospel. The, The gospel is not a spiritual reality that somehow still doesn't intersect with your practical daily life. Don't think that. That's not the gospel. The gospel is good news because it's got skin on it. It's to do with real people. People like you and me. People like those we're meant to reach for our king. Those who have yet to hear or still refuse to heed the message of the king, which is what? Repent, Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom has come because the king has come. How do I get into this kingdom then? Well, you must hear and you must heed the king. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate. 
and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Don't miss that. This is the gospel of the kingdom. This is the good news of a new genesis, a new beginning through King Jesus. The entrance to the kingdom is through the narrow gate of repentance from sin and allegiance to the king. In Matthew's gospel, we will find no record of somebody who is saved because they walked up an aisle at a church. We will find no record of somebody who is saved because they prayed a certain type of prayer that someone else led them through. We will only find record of people yet on the broad way and a few who are on the narrow way of repentance and allegiance to the king. You're still listening? Let's just notice together, and really this is where the sermon starts, isn't it? Let's just notice together the kinds of people with whom the king identifies. Look at verse 2, and no, we're not going to go through each of these verses. Don't don't trouble yourself with that um, or worrying about that. Verse 2, Abraham begot Isaac. Abraham, again, the father of the, the Hebrew nation, right? Um, whose faith was counted as righteousness. Abraham's one of the, the all-time good guys. He's, he's the guy that the, uh, the Hebrew people were so proud of, Father Abraham. But Abraham, nonetheless, was kind of a mixed bag morally, wasn't he? I mean, he did go in the direction God called him, not even knowing what the destination was. How many of us could say that? So don't get the wrong idea. But Abraham also lied, didn't he? What do you call somebody who lies? There was the first lie, the practice one, right? And then there was the professional one later. Twice he lied. No, Sarah's not my wife. She's my sister, you see. He's trying to help God out. Trying to do God's work man's way. Anybody here ever try to do that? You've heard of it, haven't you? You have any liars, do you suppose, in your family tree? Other than you, I mean. (laughs) Here's the thing. Jesus does. Jesus does. Look at verse 3. Judah begot Perez by Zerah by Tamar. And Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. How unusual this would have been to Matthew's first readers that he includes women in the genealogy. And, and so the honor of belonging to God's kingdom is not a gender thing. Eve's descendants, as well as Adam's, qualify. Who was Tamar, though? Tamar was a Gentile, a Canaanite. In fact, four of the five women, Mary's the only one who's not, four of the five women mentioned in Matthew's genealogy are Gentiles, not Jews. How interesting. It's almost as if that's intentional, don't you think? The king has come 
for his people from all the nations, men and women, every skin tone there is, every dialect there is, not just Jewish people. Anyway, Tamar pretended to be a prostitute, disguised herself as one, seduced her father-in-law, Judah, in order to ensure that the line of her deceased husband would continue. So here's, here's another example of people trying to do in their own strength, according to their own wisdom, which ain't that bright, the work of God. You have any pretenders like Tamar in your family tree? Do you, ha- you have any sexually immoral people like Judah in your family tree? Jesus does. And yet, what was God's promise to Judah through his daddy? Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. How interesting that Judah, despite his sinfulness, from Judah comes a ruler whose people will gladly obey him whose authority and ability to rule will never cease. Who is this Shiloh, this Messiah, this this lion from the tribe of Judah? Well, it's Jesus, isn't it? It's Jesus. Jesus is the king. You get the sense that there's a pattern here, don't you? We have in verses 1 through 17... The part you and I would take a first glance at and say, oh, wow, where's the next heading? The birth of Christ. There we go. Verse 18. In these opening verses, we have a long list of sinners. All except Jesus are sinners like you and me. Rich sinners, poor sinners, royal sinners and ruffians, educated sinners, uneducated sinners. This is... A genealogy of God's grace. God's promise of a king and a kingdom is made to a people who know they're in desperate need for his grace. Do you know that? Are you like the ancient Hebrew people who would point to their heritage, who would point to their religious activity? who would point to the, all the badges they won in Awana and say, see, I'm in with God. Look what I've done. Friend, if you are still clinging to what you have done, anything you have done, you don't know the gospel. This is a gospel of grace. This is a gospel of unmerited favor from God. Your family tree and mine has a lot of crooked branches on it, doesn't it? And if you look in the mirror, you'd have to, I, I trust, accept that you're maybe not the straightest branch yourself. 
all of us imperfect, every one of us a crooked branch on humanity's family tree, all of us initially designed to reflect the holy image of God. How far we've fallen. Job reflected on this sad state in frustration when he asked this. He said, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? No one. It's impossible, Job says, for someone clean to come out of this whole history of humanity's tarballs. It's touching every one of us. And yes, it's true. There are some branches on the family tree that are straighter than others, and they clean up really well, especially on a Sunday. And they know how to act, and they know how to look holy, and they know how to look humble. The problem with that is this. Jesus came not to make anybody look holy or look humble, but to be holy and be humble. Look at some of these people on this list. Verse 2, Jacob was also a deceiver, wasn't he? Rahab didn't pretend to be a prostitute. She's in verse 5. She was one. Her who had been the wife of Uriah the Hittite, says verse 6. Bathsheba was a Gentile and an adulteress. And it's into this family tree that Jesus... (laughs) God himself was born. Aren't you glad for all these names? I wonder, is your name on Jesus' family tree? I don't mean going back, I mean going forward. This genealogy is a long, long list of humanity's dirty laundry. The king has come to show us that God is not ashamed, and he's not embarrassed, and he's not unwilling to draw near to sinners like me and like you. Just read the list. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? God can And he's done so in the coming of Christ. Amen? Look at verse 16. The end of all of this begetting. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Notice that it doesn't say that Joseph begot Jesus. Why? Because he didn't. (laughs) Joseph is the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Jesus is God the Son. He has no human father. Jesus is the clean one, if you will, born of God, and yet born from the womb of fallen humanity. Mary, also a sinner. Don't miss that. Read the Magnificat in Luke's Gospel and see that Mary knows she is a sinner in need of God's grace. And if we're not careful, we'll find right here in this genealogy the gospel itself. 
Jesus is the Holy One, the only perfect one whose life can be substituted for the sinful lives of his people. Jesus is the spotless one, the spotless lamb, whose death at Calvary, the shedding of his blood, atones for the sins of all of his people, every last one of them. And he's the eternal one. That empty tomb proves the point. His endless life is given to his people by grace through faith in him. God brings clean out of the unclean family tree of his fallen people. What a gospel this is. This is the mystery of the incarnation, and Lord willing, we'll explore that a little bit more next week. The king has come to impart his cleanness to his people. Do you, do you, do you have a share? In this, this righteousness of Christ imputed to you, given to you, credited to you, increasingly expressed through you. He's come to restore the image of God in men and women. How do you qualify for the kingdom, lest we be confused on this? Other than to simply be unclean, we all qualify for that, don't we? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's poverty of spirit. Awareness of this great need in light of your uncleanness. For a cleanness from outside of you to be credited to you. How do kingdom people live? Jesus will say, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This is a new kingdom characterized by righteousness. So by God's grace, we live righteously, do we not? Seasoning the world With Christ's righteousness. That's our charge. And that's our privilege. And what are kingdom people living toward, do you suppose? What is the preoccupation and hope of kingdom people? And let me just belabor this a minute. And I don't mean on, I'm not going to go on some sort of rant. But let me just suggest to you that this last part God's people always need to be reminded of. What is to be our preoccupation? And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Well, I thought the end was going to come when I finished building my bunker. I thought it would come when I got the last box of ammo they had. They're running out. Have you heard that? Man, I thought the end would come when we finally get all of those offices on the Republican side instead of the Democrat side. Or 
the Democrat side instead of the Republican side. Do you know what that is? That's just stupid. <laughs> Listen to what Jesus said. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. When Jesus speaks of the end, he's not speaking of the end of the kingdom. This kingdom has no end. He's the final king. He's talking about the end of this age of grace. When the enemies of Yahweh's anointed, the king, will have all been conquered. And we're going to see in Matthew's gospel that this ultimate victory doesn't come by political means. But by the way, please vote on Tuesday. You're a steward of this right to vote. Be informed. Be active. Be a good steward of your right to vote. Be salt and light for your king. But just know that the end does not come about by political means. Nor will it come by means of human strength. Human creativity. No, says the king, the end comes not by force of human strength, it comes by force of his grace. This will be a gospel conquest, the scripture says. Do you believe this? Verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Matthew's use of the word generation is not um, strictly literal. He's, He's marking off three really specific time periods in salvation history, if you will. This is a genealogy of grace and the kingdom promised has come promised long ago at the beginning of the age right after the fall and God has relentlessly fulfilled his promises to send a king you know what else he's promised the king is coming again And the king is ruling and reigning over all things even now. He has all authority. And what has Jesus done with his authority? Hunker down, folks. Hang in there. I'll be there soon. All authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Oh, and by the way, lo, I'm with you always. Even to the end of the age. So Matthew's making a theological point here, not a chronological point in these three groupings. Jesus is the Davidic king. He's the universal king. And he's the eternal king. And he's been born from heaven right into our messed up human family. Praise God. And he's clothed himself in frail humanity to live for us and to die for us. 
and to rise again for us, to rid us of sin and rule us, draw us to himself forever. The kingdom has come because the king has come. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this long list of names that are foreign to us, but not to you. Lord, people made in your image, made to reflect your holiness, and yet people in various ways, in various places, at various times, failing to do so, just like us. Jesus, we marvel that you would condescend yourself to be born into such a family tree, all for the purpose of bringing us into yours. Lord, I pray that today, and as we work our way through this wonderful gospel, Lord, do a work among us so that we are stirred afresh to realize just how good this good news really is. Lord, would you empower us as your kingdom people to live in light of the victory that you have won? And Lord, would you help us in the midst of all of the things we have to focus on in this age, that our focus would be relentlessly upon the message of your kingdom spread to others. We thank you, Lord, for your promise to bless this. And so we pray it with confidence in Jesus' name. Amen.